Chapter Six of the Boy Scouts in the Rockies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kenneth Sargent Gagan. The Boy Scouts in the Rockies by Herbert Carter. Chapter Six. Backed by the Silver Fox Patrol. Hurrah for you, Alex! exclaimed Giraffe, unable to express his feelings any longer. Thad himself felt just as full of enthusiasm over the brave manner in which this son of Jerry Roston had defied the man whose one desire in life now seemed to be the discovery and confiscation of the rich mine that had eluded his fingers so for many years. But Thad knew better how to repress his delight. They were starting along the top of the precipice now, Toby leading the way and every now and then turning his head to warn them of a particular risky place that Thad had made sure to coil up that precious rope belonging to generous Bumpus and which had so frequently proven to be worth its weight in gold. Never again would Giraffe laugh at the queer conceit of the fat scout in connection with carrying out that window sash cord. As the going was so difficult and as a rule they were strung out in single file, Thad thought it would be just as well to defer all explanations until they had arrived safely in camp. Besides that, of course, would save Alex from going over things twice, since those who were not present would naturally be anxious to hear the particulars as they were. So they spent all the time in making sure that they did not lose their footing and taking ugly tumbles. For the way was very steep, and the moonlight, after all, rather treacherous to depend on wholly. Thad figured from the clock in the heavens, which he knew how to read so well, figuring on the position of the moon and the multiples of stars from Sirius and the blazing belt of Orion, the hunter, in the northeast, the bright Venus in the west, now just about vanished behind the mountain ridge, they had been gone almost all of two hours. When once more they approached the burning fire, they could see some of the scouts around the blaze, and as they drew near, the voice of Davy Jones called out sternly, Halt! Who goes there? Friends, replied Thad, carrying out the humor of the thing. Advance, friends, and give the countersign, the sentry demanded. Silver Fox Patrol, replied the scoutmaster, continuing to stride forward, and closely followed by all the others of the returning party. Did you get him, Thad? asked Davy instantly, allowing his boyish curiosity to override all soldierly qualities. That's what we did, and here he is with us, as hungry as they make him, replied the patrol leader. Oh, I only hope you kept lots of grub. I'm that hungry I can hardly walk, declared Giraffe. Asked me snatching up all you did, too, when you went off, complained Stephen. But think of what we've done since, will you? Argued the tall scout as he pushed into camp, and hastened to settle down in a good spot with the air of one who naturally anticipated being waited on by his chums. Well, we cooked a lot more, Smithy hastened to remark, because, you see, we just calculated that you would be barely ravenous after your exertions. And so this is Alec Roston. Delighted to meet you. My name is... Cut that out. We all call him plain Smithy, broke in Stephen. And I'm Stephen Bingham. The fat feller is Bumpus Hawtree. This other one is Bob White, while the other one who gave you that challenge is Davy Jones. He'll shake hands with you by offering one of his feet, because... He's standing on his head about as much as the other way. And Alex went around, shaking hands heartily. Plainly, they could see that he was more than delighted to meet such a hearty reception. 
and just when it seemed as though he needed friends the worst kind, so the newcomers were quickly waited on, and found that a bountiful supply of supper had indeed been prepared against their coming, and by boys who knew what a mountain appetite meant, too. By degrees, those who had been left in camp were told just how the rescue had been effected, and then Alec started to tell something about his experience. I live with my mother and sisters in a town called Logan down in the northern part of Utah. My father died several years ago when I was a little shaver. He had just come back home and told us he had struck it rich, and we would never want again when he was taken down with a fever, and after being sick a week he died. The last thing he did in his delirium was to press a little pocket-looking glass with a cracked front into my hands and close my fingers on it like he wanted me to keep it and we thought it was just imagination that made him do it, and that perhaps he believes he was giving me all the money he saw in his wild dreams. Well, as the years went along, I used often to look at that little mirror, just a couple of inches across, and think of my father. We never could find anything among his traps to tell us where the mine had been discovered or was located. More than a few times this year, Colonel Cracker would visit us, and tell my mother what a big thing it would be if only she could find some little chart or rude map along my father's things. It would be a sort of a clue to the lost mine. But though she searched, and I looked again and again, we just couldn't. And one day, would you believe it, somebody broke into our cottage while we were all out and stole everything belonging to my father, from his six-shooter and gun to the old tattered knapsack that he used to carry when he was prospecting for pockets of rich ore or paid anywhere along the creeks. The old snake muttered Stephen, for, of course, every one of them guessed who must have been responsible for this robbery of the widow's home. Alex went on, and one day, it was only a month ago, as I was sitting there, fiddling with that same little pocket mirror, the back came loose, and I was starting to pinch the metal tight again, when I discovered there was a piece of paper between the glass and the back. The clue to the lost mine, gasped Giraffe nearly falling over into the fire in his extravagant delight. Yes, that's what it turned out to be, continued the Rossman boy, actually smiling to see how deep an interest his narrative seemed to have had for these splendid new friends. My father must have returned of reason of just before he passed away, not being able to say a single word. He had pressed the glass into my hands, thinking that would never be enough, but somehow it never occurred to me that he knew what he was doing. And that's what brings you up here right now, I reckon. You mean to find that hidden mine and claim it for your mother and the girls, asked Thad. That is what I aim to do, replied the other, firmly. But I think that man must have kept a spy watch on our house. After he failed to find anything among the things that we were stolen, for I since had reason to believe that every movement of mine was known to him. And when he learned that I was going to start north, he guessed that I had a clue of some sort of the location of the mine. And so he captured you, perhaps right here where our camp is now, because Toby told us there were footprints of a boy along with those of Colonel Cracker and his two cronies, Waffle and Dicky Bird, Giraffe ventured to say. They did drop in on me right here, and taking me sort of by surprise, made me a prisoner. Easy enough, remarked Alex, somewhat shamefacedly, as though he considered it far from being to his credit. But there was something that happened before that ought to have warned me to be on the watch. What was it? asked the impatient giraffe as the others paused while trying to eat and talk at the same time. 
Well, you see, down below here, I thought I ought to employ some sort of guide, because I wasn't altogether accustomed to being all alone in the wilderness, though I've always used a gun and hunted. And along about that time, I ran across a man who seemed to be friendly and knew the country. He said, like a book, his name was Matt Griggins, he said, and the upshot of it all was he's engaged to pilot me around here as long as I wanted him. You see, my plan was to shake him just when I found my bearings and felt that I could go on alone, because, of course, I didn't want any outsider to be with me when I took possession of my father's mind. I was careful never to breathe a word of what I had in mind, just told him I wanted to knock around for a few weeks among the mountains up here, and unless I talked in my sleep, which I never knew myself to do, there wasn't any way Matt Grace could learn from me the real reason for my wanting to come to this particular section. But one night I woke up and found the guide searching through my knapsack, and then all of a sudden it struck me. He was in the pay of that old scoundrel of Colonel Cracker. He meant to rob me of my secret and had thrown himself across my path on purpose. Just about the time it was supposed to be, I'd want him to take a guide. Of course, I covered him with my gun and sent him away without a cartridge in his possession. He was ugly about it, too, and vowed he'd get even with me yet. Well, he did. But my treacherous guide came in with Cracker and his second man. So I reckon he must be one of those you spoke of, perhaps, Waffles. For I heard the other called Dicky once or twice. When they took you prisoners, they searched you, of course, hoping to find the valuable paper, asked Trapp, who could not wait for the natural unfolding of the plot, but must needs hasten matters by means of a pointed question. They raked me over with a fine-tooth comb, replied the other, with a little chuckle, as though proud of what he had done, but of course I had been too smart to carry that paper where it could be found, and so they had all their trouble for their pains. Then Cracker was as mad as a wet hen. He stormed and threatened and tried to fool me with a whole lot of silly promises. But it wasn't any use. I just told him that even if I knew the secret of the hidden mine, I'd die before I gave it up to him, or anyone like him. But you saw what he did in the end, took me up there and lowered me to that terrible ledge, saying he was going to leave me there to starve, and that when the buzzards came flocking around me, and I was wild for a bite to eat, perhaps I'd feel a little like telling him what he was bound to know, for he promised to come and asked me every day. And this was when, asked that? I think it must have been about noon when they lowered me at the end of the rope. Alex went on to explain. One of the men knew about that ledge, and the idea seemed to tickle Cracker more than a little. They just shoved me over it and was kept a tight hold on that rope for me, or I dropped to the cruel rocks away down at the foot of the precipice. Then late in the afternoon I saw you come into the valley far below. I wanted to shout at first, but was afraid you were only some of the other hard cases of silver mine hunters like Cracker. But I had found out in the meantime that in the crevices of the rock some small trees had once taken root, several of them dying, so that I amused myself in breaking off pieces of wood and starting a little fire deep in the fissure I found, and which they didn't know anything about, I guess. Then to my surprise I saw one making all sorts of figures in the darkness with what seemed to be a torch. I used to belong to the Boy Scout troop of Logan, you see, and for a little while I even manipulated the telegraph key in the railroad stations, a few miles out of there, on the Oregon Southern Railroad, so that I saw he was practicing the moored coves, and then in a wild desire came over me to get in touch with you. What I did, you all know, and I'm the happiest fellow in the whole Rocky Mountains to think that I've found friends up here, and friends who say they'll stand back of me and help me win out in my fight for my father's mind. 
There were tears in Alec Rawson's blue eyes as he said this last, and somehow every one of the scouts was deeply affected. It does not take much to arouse a boyish spirit of enthusiasm as a rule, and what they had already seen and heard of young Alec Rawson made the members of the Silver Fox Patrol ready to enlist heart and soul in his cause. There are nine of us here, said Thad quietly, but with a firmness that threw the newcomer into camp. It's true that all but one of us are boys, but then we've got guns and can use them too, if we have to. But let me tell you, Alex, we're the kind of friends that's sick. We've heard a lot about this hidden mine that your father discovered and believe that it ought to belong to your mother and no one else. This old rascal of a cracker is a regular pirate, a land shark, that ought to be tied up to a stake and tarred and feathered the way he persecuted you just because you refused to give away your secret, which means everything to your folks and Alex, we're going to stand by you through the thick and thin. We met up with you in about the queerest way ever heard of, and after getting you off that ledge up there, don't think we want to call it quits. You're a scout, a fellow scout in trouble, and we wouldn't deserve the name we bear if we didn't promise to back you up to the limit. How about that, boys? That's a talk, declared Giraffe with a great vim. He can count on us every time, said Stephen. And so it went the entire rounds of the little circle, every boy echoing the sentiments that had made Thad, as the patrol leader, promise the harassed lad all the assistance that lay in their power. After that, the camp quieted down, and the boys went about their ordinary pursuits. Davy was fiddling with his little camera, the fever growing stronger in his veins of each passing day, where some of his chums talked of shooting Rocky Mountain sheep grizzlies, timberwolves, and panthers, and the like, the Jones boy could be heard expressing his opinion that shooting the same in their native haunts with a snapshot camera was more to his taste. And then there was Stephen, as usual, loudly bemoaning the loss of something that he had just felt sure he had had five minutes before, which was now gone as completely as though the earth had opened and swallowed it up. Ain't as though it was the first time either, he said, in a grumbling tone, as one of the people injured, while he eyed his chum suspiciously. It's always my stuff that's been so mysteriously moved about so that I never know where to put my hands on the same. Now I reckon more a few of you saw my service hat on my head just a little while ago. But tell me where it is now, will you? If one of you snatch it off your slick ways and is just hiding the same, let me notify you right now. It's a mean joke, Thad. Can you tell me where my hat is? Having the question thus put directly at him. Troll leader felt compelled to make a reply. Well, Stephen, he said slowly and convincingly, I can't exactly do that, but I think it might be a pretty good guess. Knowing you so well, just five minutes ago, you showed up after having gone to get a drink of that little stream that runs through here. There's a regular place where we bend down to drink, and I can just see you taking off that campaign hat of yours, laying it nicely on the bank, getting in your fellow water, and then deliberately coming back to camp, leaving your hat there, and then you kick up the greatest racket because you suddenly notice it isn't on your head. Some of the other boys clapped their hands while Stefan looked foolish at the well-merited rebuke. Uh, maybe you're right that time, Thad, he said meekly. As turning, he strode from the brisk burning fire, heading toward the good spot alongside the little stream where they knelt to drink. It was perhaps a half a minute afterwards when he was heard to give a screech that brought every scout instantly to his feet, jumping for their guns, when they caught the meaning of his words. 
I got him, yelled Stephen at the top of his voice. I'm holding him all right, but come, come and give me a hand, somebody, or I'll get away. Injuns, injuns. No wonder that excitement filled the camp of the Silver Fox Patrol. End of chapter 6 Recording by Kenneth Sergeant Gagan